Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. We're going to take up our offering. Uh, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the, all the mothers out there. And, and, uh, and I had this word in the first service, and I want to share it in this service as well. Is, if, um, is there anyone here, if, if you'd be bold enough to share, that has... Uh, lost a child through miscarriage, and that you would feel like that would keep you from saying that you're a mom today, that the enemy would try to tell you that you're not a mother because you've, yeah, because you've lost a child in miscarriage. Just I want to remind you of something real quick for those of you that raised your hand, and I feel like this is from the Lord for you, is this, is that life begins when he forms and knits together that life in your womb, and that though you didn't get to be the mother on this side of eternity that he created you to be, you'll know that child forever in eternity to come, and you are no less a mother than someone who brings a baby full term to birth and it lives to be 100 years old because every life was created by him. He's the author of life. He's not the author of death. And so when he formed that, that baby, he says, when I, before, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That means he knew your child before he began to form them, before you had the, had the, the, the physical act of coming together. Before that happened, he knew that child and he said that he knit that child together in your womb. And he fearfully and wonderfully created them. And they've been with him from the moment they left you. And they'll be there the moment that you come to him. And you'll know them for eternity. And so from, from that side, I just feel like the Lord wanted me to say to you, from that child that's still waiting to meet you, that knows your name, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And to all you moms out there who are currently caring for or have cared for children, happy Mother's Day. You guys are heroes. I mean, the fact that God entrusted you to bring forth life, what an amazing, incredible honor. We honor you guys today, every day, honestly. And and here's the thing, like we say this a lot on Father's Day, but I don't know that I've ever heard this said on Mother's Day, but you know, we say, well, if if, if you didn't have a father growing up, he's a father to the fatherless and God can be a father and all that kind of stuff. And that's so true. And it's so appropriate to say, but it's also appropriate to say on Mother's Day that God can show you the love of a mother if you grew up without a mother or with a mother that was absent. Because here's Jesus overlooking a city. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets, how I would have loved to have gathered you under my wings like a mother hen does with her chicks. You wouldn't let me. And so if you've grown up without a mother, if you've grown up without knowing the love of a mom who's present in your life, who's there, being who God created her to be. If you grew up without that, he can be that for you. He's a father to the fatherless, but he can also be a mother to the motherless because he's love, and that's what moms do. So God, I thank you for every mother in here. I thank you for all the moms-to-be. I thank you that you've entrusted women with this beautiful ability to bring forth life in the same way that you've entrusted your children with the beautiful ability to bring forth life. I just pray for every mother in here that they would know the honor and the value that heaven places on who they are and what they do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He he is, um, oh, we'll take up our offering now here. I would have forgot that, and then you would have been robbed of your opportunity to give. And I know that would have bummed all of you out. Right? Because we're thankful to have something to give, right? So here's the thing. Real quick, we did this first service before they passed the baskets. Real quick, if you already gave yours, it's okay. Just hold your hand up empty. And if you weren't going to give anything, everyone will think that you already gave. Um, 
But just take whatever it is and put it in your hand and see it. Because here's the thing. The Bible says now he gives bread for eating and seed for sowing. And so, so I know we know that, but I want us to actually think about that in this moment as we're about to give, that we're planting seed. Because bread is for eating, but seed is for sowing. And if we eat our seed, then there's nothing that's reproducing. There's nothing that's bringing forth a crop. There's nothing that we can then eat from and also sow back into the ground. But if we're constantly sowing as well as constantly eating, there's this constant reproduction cycle going in our lives. And there's always more coming because it always multiplies. So I want you to just think about that. I know you probably didn't know that, but just right now, look at whatever's in your hand or what you're about to give or, or what you want to give and just see it as seed. God, I just thank you for this. I thank you that you said that if we would sow abundantly, we would also reap abundantly. And God, we give not because we want to reap. We give because we want to sow. But we're thankful for your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, you know, there's that tension that we live in sometimes where you know a promise of God, but you're not doing it because of that promise. It's like, you know, when he says that, that, he, that, he, uh, that you, he blesses those who give and, and that when you sow generously, you reap generously. And, and there's this tension of like, we would be lying to say we haven't heard those verses. But it's the position of our heart of why are we doing this? Are we doing this because there's a promise or are we doing this because we love the one who gave the promise? And that's the tension that we live in. And that's what only we can see. And that's why God says, while man's looking at the outside, God's busy looking at the heart because he wants your heart. He wants you to be giving out of love for him, not just out of love for the promise and what it can do. He wants you to love him more than you love what he can do. It's what he wanted from the children of Israel. We're going to get into that in a second um, and continue on. But my little girl's here again today. It's just so awesome to see her here. Yeah. You don't have to clap. But, well, if you want to, you can. Um, but I just want to tell you to share something funny with you guys. Because here's the thing, is that, you know, we sang the God who brings the dead to life. And, and truthfully, we watched him do something like that where she was at the edge of death. Where We had a follow-up appointment this past week with her uh, neurosurgery team. And her neurosurgeon, who's done pediatric neurosurgery all over for 27 years, said to us, he choked up looking at her, watching her as she's doing, walking and standing on one leg and doing the different things she's doing and talking and having conversation and smiling and laughing and he choked up and he said, you know, in 27 years of doing this, you're the biggest miracle I've ever witnessed. That's amazing, right? So check this out. <laughs> so here's the thing. We go home that night and Patty says, we're family's getting ready to hang out. And Patty says, uh, so we'll take a family vote. Who wants to play Uno and who wants to play phase 10? Jackson says, I want to play Uno. Aaliyah pipes up. The miracle votes for phase 10. <laughs> <laughs> we played Uno, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Phase 10 would have taken too long. But here's the thing, is that just like John knew that God loved him so much that he said he was the disciple whom Jesus loved, Aaliyah understands that she's a miracle of the love of God so much that she can call herself a miracle. And every one of us can do both as well. Because every one of us was raised from death to life. Every single one of us. Hers was way more apparent because we saw it in the physical. But Jesus, when they brought a man to him who had a withered hand, he said, your sins are forgiven. They said, who is this man that he can forgive sins? And Jesus said, on the, especially on the Sabbath, they're mad at him because of when he's doing it. The, the, the religious spirit will always find something wrong with everything that God's doing. And, and they said to him, they said, who is this man that he, he, he can forgive? And, and even on the Sabbath, and he says, don't you know that the Sabbath was made for the Son of God, not the Son of Man made for the Sabbath, but so that you know that I have the power to say your sins are forgiven. Stretch out your hand. He said, what is, what's harder, to say to someone your sins are forgiven or to say to man be healed? 
And in Jesus' opinion, it's like, listen, it costs way more for God to forgive sins than it does for God to heal. For him to heal cost him being beaten. For him to forgive sins cost him his life. And so every one of us is a miracle that was brought from death to life. It's our awareness of that. It's every one of the disciples sitting around the table could have been the one that leaned their head on Jesus' chest because he loved every single one of them, but only one of them was aware of the love he had for them enough that he dared to do it. So much so that he called himself the one that Jesus loved. You realize he wasn't the only one that Jesus loved? He was just aware that he was the one Jesus loved. But Peter was the one Jesus loved. James was the one Jesus loved. Thomas was the one Jesus loved. Judas was the one Jesus loved. And Gladio. But but really, every one of us should identify so much so with what he's done. Like Aaliyah, we could feel comfortable third person calling. It's not weird for her to talk about herself third person here. She would always say Aaliyah before. We'd say, well, you know, what do you want? This? Aaliyah wants to do this. She just third personed herself all the time. But now she just substituted the miracle in there. <laughs> um, and we just laughed so hard. Um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to kind of finish off a, a, a season that, I mean, a, a, something we've been talking about for a little while here. We don't plan to do series here, but sometimes things turn into series. And we're just talking about the wilderness. If you weren't here for the past two weeks, I really would encourage you to listen to the podcast. Um, they're available on iTunes or on the website to download because what there is a danger that sometimes that we will just adopt terminology and if it lines up with what we're feeling or if it lines up with our experience, we'll latch on to it and then we'll, we will spiritualize dysfunction and grant it permission to stay. And so, so what we were talking about is kind of how, you know, it, this, the wilderness experiences, and they are real. There are real wilderness experiences in the Bible. But, but if you look at the wilderness experiences throughout the Word, and this is why it's important to know the counsel of God's Word, to know the whole of Scripture, to not just take a verse or a story and build your theology upon that and then build your life on that. But he, if we look through the, through the Bible, we see many wilderness experiences, but, but there's only one that led to frustration and people dying and staying there. And, and it was the time that there was, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and it says because of their disobedience, because of their hardness of heart, because they didn't mix faith with the God. It says they too heard the gospel just as we did, but they didn't enter into the rest that God offered because they didn't mix faith with the hearing of the word. If we look at the other wilderness experiences, Jesus has one. He goes into the wilderness, truly enough, and, and it, I'm sure it wasn't fun and it wasn't, you know, the joyful experience being alone off in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, not eating, not drinking. But it says, and he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He comes right out of the wilderness. He walks into the temple and says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news. He came out with something that he didn't go into it with. It says, when John the Baptist is, is out in the wilderness, he's eating locust and honey, and he runs around with a camel skin on. It says, and the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. The revelation that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world came to John while he was in a wilderness. And then there's, there's John, the, the, the disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who he gets exiled. He gets put into a wilderness season, not through anything that, that the Lord was doing. It was through people. They couldn't stand him, and so they put him on this island all by himself, and God says, he's alone by himself. Here's a perfect opportunity for me to invite him to come up here, and I'll give him a revelation of my son, Jesus Christ. Every time someone went into a wilderness with the Lord, 
they came out of it with more than they went into it with. It was never to bring them there to leave them depressed or for them to, to forfeit their joy for the sake of calling it a wilderness. And if we're not careful, we'll allow things that God never intended to last way longer than he, intended, uh, than, than he ever would desire. And we'll, we'll label it a wilderness season or, you know, I'm just going through a real dry time and stuff like that. Listen, do not settle for a wilderness without actually asking God, God, if I really am having a wilderness experience, I want to come out of it with more than I came into it with. And God, don't ever let me forfeit my joy because your joy is my strength. And I know you've never called me somewhere apart from your joy. God didn't say, you're coming into a wilderness season, leave your joy at the door, you can pick it up when you go back out. And so we were just talking about that, and I talked about last week about, you know, in in situations where, you know, the 10 lepers get healed, only one realizes uh, that, that Jesus was worthy of being thanked, and so when he returns to Jesus. Jesus says to him, you know, your, your faith has made you whole. Everybody got cleansed. Every, every leper got what was on them that wasn't supposed to be there taken off. Only one had the things that were missing actually given so that they went from not just being sick to being well, but they went from being, he went from being not whole to being made whole. And it was the only one that was thankful that received this from So to check those out, I want to talk just a little bit about the, the, one of the dangers in here and, and the way that we fight against it. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, God's talking to his people, and he says this. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant and you eat and are satisfied then watch yourself that you do not forget the lord who brought you from the land of egypt out of the house of slavery god i just thank you for your word i thank you that it is alive god that that it it means as much to us today as it meant the day that you spoke it first and that spirit as we speak from it as we as we listen as we learn from your word that you would open our ears to hear our minds to understand and our hearts to receive what you have that we would be good soil, that your seed would take root in our lives and produce fruit. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so I was, I was just re- I've been reading about the children of Israel in the wilderness because I feel like God's been talking about that. And I feel like part of the reason is because there's many people who are going from one season to another. And if you don't know how to transition from one season to another well, you'll be tempted to look back on the season you were in and romanticize it. You'll look back on that time, just like the children of Israel did while they were in the desert. They were better than they were before, but because they were missing something that they had in the last season, they looked back and said, we were better off in Egypt. No, you weren't. You're only remembering the good part. You remember that there was lemons and garlic, but you forget the slavery and abuse. Because you'll always remember what you want to remember, and you'll forget the things that made you want to get out of there to begin with if you're not careful. It's why people return to bad relationships. They break up with the person, then they're alone for a while, and being alone doesn't feel as good as the best moments in the relationship. And they, so they romanticize the best moments, and they think, I need to get back into that relationship because I'm missing that now that I'm here, forgetting there was a whole bunch there that they don't miss. And people go, well, why does she keep going back to her? Why does he keep going back to her when they do this? It's because the farther you get away from it, the less you feel that pain, the more you start looking back and fondly remembering only the good. This is what the children of Israel did. They looked back, and they were, they were, they were beaten. They were tortured. Their children were killed. Their children were taken into slavery. They were they forced into labor every single day, all day long, out in the desert. And they look back at one point, and they say, we were better off in Egypt. At least we had man, lemons and garlic. God's been giving them food, but the food's a little plain. And so they look back and they go, we had this and we had that. 
Don't be caught in that place where you find yourself looking back just because there's some things that you liked back there. Just remember, what he has in store for you is so much better than any good that you left, and it's without the bad. He gives without reproach, meaning that you're not going to have to have the bad that comes with it as well. And so, so the Lord is, is wanting to bring them into this place. And he says, look, I'm, gonna, I'm about to bring you, and, and he's basically telling them, listen, I'm going to take you from one season and I'm going to bring you into another. This is my idea. This was not the children of Israel's idea. It's not like they were wandering around in the desert for 40 years writing down a list of things they wished that God would do for them and then presented them to the Lord. The Lord said, okay, I'll do that. No, this was his idea. He made this promise long before they were even alive. He promised it to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, and he promised that he would do this for his people. And now they're getting to this place where he can bless them the way he wants to bless them. And I love that the Lord says this. He says, listen, I'm about to take you from where you are, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bring you into a land that's better than you can imagine. Right now, you wander in the desert. You have no place to call your own. You just wander, and you're you're nomadic. But I'm about to bring you into a city, and it's an amazing place that is going to be called yours. And, And out in the desert, all you had was the cloud during the day to protect you from the heat, and, and the fire at night to keep you warm. It was, it was me that did that. N- now you're about to be given houses that you didn't build. And, and where you had to get up in the morning and rely on me every day to feed you with manna, I'm going to give you vineyards and olive groves that you didn't even have to plant. And, and you used to, not, used to have to get water from wherever you could find it, and I would provide it out of a rock, and I would do these amazing things to give. Now you're going to get up, and you can have water whenever you want because there's going to be wells there that you didn't even dig. And he says, listen, I want to do this for you. This is going to actually complete a promise that I made. This is my heart for you. I just want to ask you one thing. Make sure when you're there enjoying what I gave you to enjoy, that you don't forget me. You you, you just hear the heart of God. All he wants is relationship. And he's saying, listen, just when I bring you into that place, He doesn't say don't enjoy it. He actually says when you have eaten and are satisfied. He doesn't say don't be satisfied, don't enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. In fact, your blessing may very well be his plan and a fulfillment of his promise. You don't have to feel guilty for that. He says, listen, when you get to that place, it's okay to eat, to be satisfied, to be full. Just don't forget me in the the process. You know, sometimes we, we look around and we see people who are blessed and we see that the blessing or the things that they were blessed with lead to ruin. And so we automatically assume, well, that must not have been God because God would never give something to somebody that would, that would not be a blessing to them. Maybe, or maybe his desire to bless his people is so great that he says, look, I know there's a chance that you're going to forget me. But I want to bless you. Even though I know that giving you this means you're not going to have to get up in the morning and seek me for food. You're not going to have to seek me for water out of a rock. You're not going to need the, the, the cloud in the morning and the fire at night. You're going to have a home. I know you're not going to need me anymore, but I want a relationship with you that's greater than your need for things. I want you to want me. And the only way that you can choose me rather than choose what I do is if I give you and satisfy and meet your needs. And now you have to choose me in the face of blessing. Because what does he want? He wants to be chosen by his people, not because of simply their need, but because they want him, not just what he can do. So he's like, look, of course you, you, you sought me every morning when you woke up. You had to. Because your food wouldn't last. 
I set it up that way so that the manna wouldn't last from one day to the next. At the end of every day, you had nothing. You had to believe and you had to receive from me the next morning. Of course you got up in the morning and your first thought was towards me and towards what I do. And of course you were thankful every day because you had to, because you needed me. But what about when you wake up in the morning and you walk out onto your balcony and as far as you can see, there's a vineyard that stretches out that you didn't plant that's full of grapes. And there's an olive grove that you didn't tend that's full of olives. And you don't need me. You can walk out and pick olives. You can walk out and pick grapes. And you can eat and you can be full and you can be satisfied. Will you still choose me? Will you still be aware of your need for me? Because I want to be chosen by you. And it is, it's, it's, to me, it's just so amazing to hear the heart of God saying to his people, he repeats it again in, in Deuteronomy 8. He says the same thing. He says, now the Lord's taking you into the land of blessing. And he says to him, he says, just see that you don't forget me. Like, here's the thing. If my relationship with him is only built on my need, what happens when he does what he promises and supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory? See, because there's a promise. He says, and I know the Lord my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So if my relationship with him is built around my need for him for things, what happens when he meets my need for things? What happens when he goes even a step beyond just meeting my needs and actually gives me the desires of my heart? See, when he was feeding the children of Israel with manna, it wasn't just to meet their needs. It was a revelation of who he was. He wasn't just doing it so that they would say, oh, great, we have manna. Thank you, God, for what you've done and fall in love with what he did. He wanted them to fall in love with who he was. And this was a revelation to them that, listen, I want to provide for you because I love you. I want to meet your needs because I love you. But I want you to love me in return, not just love what I do. So I'll bring you to a place where I give you more than you need so that you can have more than a day that you go with without needing me to supply something so that you can choose me in the face of blessing rather than run to me needing rescue. And, and here's, so, so here's the other danger of this. I didn't talk about this first service, but I want to talk about this this service. The, the other danger in this is that we fall in love with being rescued so much that we are constantly putting ourselves in situations that force him to be the rescuer because we don't know how to, un- commu- we don't know how to have relationship and commune with him apart from needing to be rescued and having a crisis that he needs to walk into. Do you understand that you could have the same level of relationship with him when you're in the good times that you had when you were in the hard times and even greater? See, here, if, if, if Dylan only comes to hang out with me while I'm in the hospital with my daughter and I can't go anywhere and he sees that and he, and he responds the way he did, he was just amazing. He was always coming up there and there were so many people that did. And, um, and, and, and Chad would come bring me breakfast in the morning. But, but if I don't see those two outside uh, now that we're home and I'm no longer in that crisis situation, I might be tempted to look back and go, man, it was so much better when, when I was there because I got to see Dylan every day or I got to see Chad in the mornings, not understanding that I don't have to be in a crisis to relate to them the way I did in the crisis. I could actually have the same level of friendship with them now apart from the crisis that I had with them then. And, and if we're not careful, we'll romanticize that stuff and we'll look back and, and miss everything that was wrong and almost wish we were back in that season because of the closeness we felt during that season without understanding that the closeness that was developed during that season could continue to be developed now that we're away from it. If you fall in love with being rescued out of crisis, 
your only way of relating to God will be as rescuer. And you'll constantly look for places that he has to come and rescue you from rather than living in and enjoying the rescue that you've received. I thought so. And so, so, <laughs> so there's three things that God says to them after he promises to give the whole people a city. Then he says things to them individually. He says, you're about to this, and you're about to that, and you're about to that. He says, he says uh, listen, when you're in, a, you're in a great city that you didn't build, you're going to wake up in houses full of good things that you didn't fill. And one of the ways he wants to keep them remind, remembering him and mindful of him in these seasons of prosperity is to remind them that, wait a minute, you didn't fill that house with good things. When you look around and you see this house that you have full of good things, remember that it wasn't you that filled it. And if it wasn't you that filled it and every good gift comes from him, then it must have been him that filled it for me, even if he used other people to do it. And he says, you're going to drink from cisterns or wells that you didn't dig, eat of vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. And when you eat and they're satisfied, then watch yourself and don't forget that the Lord, the Lord that brought you out of the slavery of Egypt. If we're not careful, we'd be tempted to look at things like that and think, you know, you got to be careful if you want to be blessed. Because God said, when you want to be blessed, that's when you can forget him. No, listen, the Lord said, I want to bless you. That was his idea. They weren't seeking after blessing. They were slaves, and he told them to leave and go to a land which I'll show you, and I will bless you there. That was his idea. All he's saying is, listen, I want to bless you. I just don't want you to leave me behind in the process. And so I was thinking about what that looks like in the new covenant, and I was reading in Matthew, just looking at some of the things that he wrote, and it was interesting to me, and I love when you find these mirrors from the old covenant to the new covenant. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 6. Um, this is Jesus speaking, and it's one of the probably the most famous sermons that he ever gave. And he says this. He says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. God said when you are in a house full of good things that you didn't fill, don't forget me. You know that giving is one way when we have abundance that we keep from forgetting the Lord. And I'm not talking about just what we give on Sundays at church. I'm talking about actually walking in, in attention to his voice and listening for the Spirit of God leading us to a generous place of giving. Because here's what happens. One, I can't be listening for his voice and who to give if I'm not atten paying attention to him. So right there, that eliminates my ability to forget about him because I'm actually seeking him and saying, Lord, I know that you've blessed me. I look out and I see this house full of good things. God, and I know this is from you. If there's reason you gave it to me and you want me to bless you with this, then show me who to bless. Show me who to give it to. Right now, my attention is upon him, and I haven't forgotten him, but here's another way that it does that, because sometimes he'll call us to give beyond a place that we're actually comfortable giving. See, and sometimes we actually, it brings us to this place where it forces us to ask ourselves, what do I trust? Is it my stockpile, my storehouse, my account, or is it the one who's the provider that actually gave me the ability to have these things? Because sometimes it's easy when you have $10 and if he tells you to give two. But what happens when you have 10000 and he tells you to give 2000 What happens when you have 100 and he asks you to give 200 Or, or 20 sorry. <laughs> Quick math. 
Or when you have a million and he asks you to give 200,000, you know, as it goes up, the ability with which and the ease with which we give can go down if we don't remember that the one who, tr- who gave this to us is the one who's calling us to give. And it will force us into a place sometimes of uncomfortability, but it also forces us to this place where we recognize you're my source, God, not what I have in my bank account, not what I've stockpiled and not what I've saved for myself. And here's the thing. So, so how do we not forget him when he brings us into a time of blessing? I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a time where um, someone paid off Patty and I's home. We had $105,000, and some amazing person wrote us a check anonymously that was for $105,000. We paid off our home. This was two months after we got alone with God and said, God, listen, we've cut cable. We've cut the gym. We've cut we, we would have sold the kids, but you told us to raise them in the fear and love of you. <laughs> and you told us to steward them well. And so God here's everything that we can possibly give up or giving up so that we can pay extra. And God, we're asking that you would do what we can't as we're obedient to do what we can't. Two months later, a check comes for that. And I'm not saying this to boast in us. Do you know the first thing that Patty and I did when we got home that night and we sat on the couch together? We looked at each other and said, who do we know that's in debt that we could bless the same way? Why? Because the Lord was calling us to this place of saying, okay, and then he told us to give half of what we had saved to someone who was in debt. Why? Because he wanted to make sure that when he brought us into this place where when we looked out and saw everything that we owned was paid for and we didn't have any debt and we were in a place financially that we never imagined being, instantly he brought us to this place of saying, will you still trust me? Will you still actually look to me? And will you still remember me as your provider now that you've stepped into a place where I've provided through somebody else? And I promise you, it, we, we had to talk about it for a second. I mean, it was, it was a good discussion. You know, we were just discussing through, and sometimes you go through that. You know, is this the Lord? Is it not? Here's the thing. Never resist the urge to be generous because it's not from the enemy. And even if it was, God will use what was meant for evil to bless you because of the principle of sowing and reaping. Never resist a generous urge. If you just live by that, I promise you that at the end of your life, you'll be thankful. Chad quit asking him to be generous. I saw it. You notice I didn't say the person that had the debt knocked on our door and put their hand out. We prayed and asked the Lord who it was that he wanted us to bless. But listen, so Jesus says this. He says, when you give, don't do it publicly and don't announce it to everybody. I just announced that not because I wanted everyone to know that, but because I'm trying to teach a principle. And sometimes you have to share your testimony to teach a principle. But here's the thing is that he says, when you do it, don't do it for any other reason to be seen by men or so that everyone will know or everyone will think, wow, look at them or look how generous or any of that stuff. He says, just get alone and give because I'm leading you to give. When you give, make sure you have to rely on him and you have to have a relationship with him to feel like he's leading you to give. And once he does, you just privately give it so that people don't see what you're doing and you're not doing it for any other reason than to be obedient to him. So Jesus is saying, listen, I want to give you stuff and here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me and seek me and follow my voice so that when I lead you to give, you're obedient to give. That will do one of two things. One thing it will do is make sure that you're constantly aware of his voice and seeking him and you will pray and question, God, is this you when he tells you to give a large sum of money? I promise you. It'll force you in a place of seeking him because it takes you out of your comfort zone. You want to make sure it's him. For two, it will remind you of who your source and your provider is, and you will stop looking at your account, and you'll start looking at the one who filled it. When he brings you into an abundance, just make sure you don't forget the one who brought you into that land, and don't forget that it was his idea for you to live there. The second thing he says is this. 
He says, you're going to drink from cisterns or wells that you didn't dig. See, when water was scarce, they had to trust him that he would make water flow from a rock or he would bring them to a place where there was bitter water. He'd turn it sweet and he'd do all these amazing miracles. And now they're going to live in this land where there's these wells that they didn't dig. And anytime they want, they can go out and just get water. They didn't have to be frugal with it anymore. They didn't have to ration it anymore. They could, you know, put it in their mouth, spit it up into the air and let it fall onto the ground because there was these cisterns that were constantly refilling themselves that they didn't even have to work for. Sometimes God brings you to a place where he wants to bless you with things that you didn't work for so that you'll understand that it wasn't by the work of your hands, it was by his that you're being blessed. And he brings them to this place, and I was thinking about that, and I'm like, well, how does that work for us in the New Testament? And then I found Jesus saying this, the next thing Jesus says, but when you pray, Matthew 6, 5, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We live in a time where if you have a phone, you have 24-7 access to teachings, to the Word, to worship music, to prophecies, to all that stuff. And that, that is not a bad thing. But here's the thing. If you don't remember your need for Him and you let your need for Him be met by what other people have received you won't actually know him the way that you can know. Do you know that you can know the word and not know his voice? I can prove it to you from the Bible because Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied under Gamaliel, who was like the rabbi that everybody wanted to study under because he was the man. He said, as a Pharisee, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, perfect. He knew the law. He knew the word. He studied under the best rabbi. But when Jesus came and knocked him off a horse, he says, who are you, Lord? You can know his word and not know him. Be careful. Jesus says, listen, in a time when you can have water anytime you want, the way that you keep from forgetting your need for him is to get alone. What did he tell the woman at the well? He said, I'm the living water. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. What was he saying? saying, listen, you guys, don't do this. Don't go out on the street corners and pray so that people hear you and are impressed with you because the minute a man is impressed with your prayers, you've received exactly what you were looking for if that was the desire of your heart when you prayed. He doesn't say don't pray in front of people. People have twisted that scripture to mean, well, you don't, you're not supposed to pray in front of people. Jesus said, no, he says, it's the heart that he's saying, that he's talking about, that he's addressing here. Why am I out there praying? Is it so that people will look at me and think, wow, what a holy man he is? Or is it because I really want to seek the Lord? If you're really seeking the Lord, you can pray in front of people, but don't let that be a substitute for getting alone with him and actually communing with the one who said that he is the water, the living water. You get alone with him and you say, God, I need you. You get alone with Jesus and you pray, you commune with him. And you just get on your knees and just say, God, uh, Jesus, I need you. I, I, I'm so thankful that you've blessed me. I'm so thankful for everything you've given me. But Jesus, I need you. And you listen and you just be with him and spend time with him. You live in a land right now where literally there's water everywhere. Everywhere you look, you can access the water of life. You can access teaching and the Bible and all that stuff. But if you don't actually get alone with him, you cannot live off of what other people have received. I promise you, listening to teaching is good. I promise you, all that stuff is great. Worship music and worshiping and everything is great. Coming to church and being taught, all that stuff is good, but none of it is a substitute for getting alone with him, shutting your door when no one else is around and seeking him in the quiet and in the private. And if you do that, you never forget him and your need for him, even though you live in a land where there's water everywhere, even though you live in a land with all kinds of choices, 
You make him the one that you choose in the face of it. You never forget him that way. And the third thing he says is this. He says, um, there, he says you are going to eat from olives, olive trees and vineyards that you didn't plant. So there was a time, right, where he had to supply manna. And so they wake up in the morning. If God doesn't bring manna, they don't eat. So they would get up every morning, and they would be so aware of their need for him because they had no food. And they would go out, and miraculously, there would be this manna, and they would just pick it up all over the place, and they would bring it, and they would roll it together, whatever they did with it, they would eat it. But every night when they went to sleep, it would be gone. And the next morning when they woke up, they would have to lean on him again and rely on him again to bring fresh manna. And he says, listen, now I'm going to bring you into a place where when you wake up, you don't have to seek me to eat. You could eat what you, put, what you picked the day before. I don't want you to forget me in that day. You guys realize that right now, if you have food on your shelves, you have more food than the entire nation of Israel had when they went to bed at night. They had nothing. And, and, and so how do we remember him in a time when he's provided so much for us? You, you probably know where I'm going. Matthew chapter 6, 16, Jesus. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. You notice that all these things he's saying is when, when, when. When you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast. He was talking to believers, and he's, he's assuming these are going to have a place in our lives. So now he's just telling us how to do it. He doesn't say if. You, you notice, be careful that we don't put ifs where he puts whens and whens where he puts ifs. He says when you pray, James says if you sin. One of those two is optional. One of those is a given. Make sure that we know which one he thought was going to be optional that we would have to choose and which one was going to be a given that we would do. Because if we think it says when you sin and if you fast or if you pray, we might pray less and sin more without even realizing why. It's a thought. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but, your father who is in, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In a day when we wake up and, and we have unlimited things in front of us, and, and we actually don't need him to eat every day. People say, well, I need him for everything. Well, that, that's true. That's a Christian answer. In him we live and move and breathe. And I know that we need him to supply the breath to our lungs. But there's people out there that deny his existence that get up every morning and eat. You can do that apart from his ability that he gives you. You know, they're breathing and they don't realize because of him. But I'm saying, like, it's not like you have to get up every morning and thank him in order to be able to eat. You don't have to remember the Lord in order to eat. There's many people who get up every day and eat food without thinking about remembering or thanking the Lord. But I promise you this, if you would choose in a time when you have so much food in front of you to deny yourself food and actually focus on him, it will keep you from forgetting him in the days that you are eating. How do we keep ourselves from forgetting the Lord when we have so much in front of us, the way we remembered him when we didn't, every now and then choose to go without and place ourselves in a position where we actually are focused on him rather than everything around us. I think it's interesting that, in, and I'll just close up with this, but I think it's interesting, these, there's two different things that I noticed in this. One is how the three commands that God gave line up so clearly with the three things that Jesus said. He says, listen, you're going to live in houses you didn't, and Jesus says, that are full, that you didn't fill. In other words, you're going to have an abundance, and Jesus says, 
make sure that when you give to the poor, this is how you do. In other words, if you give to the poor, if you're constantly listening to my voice and you're giving and you're being obedient to that, it'll keep you from forgetting about me when you live in abundance. And he says, you're, you're about to drink from wells and cisterns that you didn't dig. In other words, there's going to be an abundance of water. And Jesus says, listen, when you pray, when you get alone with me, when you spend time with me, when you seek me, the living water that never runs dry. And he says, you're, you're about to eat from groves that you didn't plant and vineyards that you didn't plant. And Jesus says, and when you fast, when you do without all that food. The other thing that I love about this is that each of these says, and your father who sees what you do will reward you. You realize reward is his idea. It's not evil. If, if we only can relate to him when we're in a season of lack, we'll glorify lack and we'll actually attach a holiness to it that may not be from God. You realize that it was his idea to bring them out of lack and into abundance? They could stand there and say, well, well you know, the thing about this is, is it's, and people will say this, they'll say, well, you know, it's why it's hard to, to be rich and to, uh, to love God. He said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter? the kingdom of heaven. You know, the truth of the matter is, is every one of us is rich and it's impossible for us to enter the kingdom of heaven apart from his grace. Well, we'll glorify lack because we'll say, well, yeah, but you know, it was so much easier when I didn't have. It shouldn't be that way. And God actually wants to bring you to a place where you're not seeking him just for what he can do, but you're seeking him for who he is. Because he wants to be chose even in the face of so many other things that you could choose. You know, I, I honestly believe it blesses his heart more when we choose him in abundance than when we choose him in lack, because when you're in lack, you have no other choice. But in abundance, you have all these choices in front of you, and you actually say, God, there's so many things in front of me, and of all these things you've given me, you're the one that I want the most. I think that's why he brings his children into places of blessing, is because it, it just absolutely touches his heart. When in the, in the face of all the good things that we, he's given us, we choose him over them all. But it's his idea. He, he, later on in Deuteronomy 8, when he talks about this, he says, and don't forget that it's I who gives you the ability to be prosperous. It's okay to be blessed. It's okay to have wealth. It's okay to have vineyards that you didn't. It's okay to have things, and it's okay to have things that you were blessed with. It's okay to be blessed by God. You don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to feel bad for it. And you don't have to try to hide it. But what you do have to do is make sure that you never forget that the one who blessed you wants to be chose in the midst of all the blessing. It's okay. Don't feel bad for being blessed. Listen, the children of Israel did nothing to deserve this. In fact, they did everything to not deserve it. And he still brought them to this land. And he said, there's a great city that you didn't build. There's houses that you didn't build. There's wells that you didn't dig. And there's vineyards and orchards that you didn't plant. And I'm going to give it all to you because I want to bless you. Even though I know there's a chance that in this blessing you'll forget about me. I want to bless you so much. I'm going to bless you. Listen, it's not like God doesn't want to give you a choice, but he tells you which one to choose, right? So he brings his children out and he says, I put before you this day a choice, life or death. If you went into a classroom and you needed this grade to graduate and go on to the next grade and you walked in and the teacher said to you, you know, I'm going to give you one test and everything will hinge on this one test. It's a true or false test. And the answer is true. How much does that teacher want you to get it right? God says, listen, I'm bringing you a choice, life or death, blessing or curse. Choose life that I may bless you. 
He says, listen, I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to tell you which one to choose. And I want you to choose that one, but you have to choose it. See, so brings them out of the desert, brings them to this place. And I, I feel like there's a lot of people right now whose life is stepping from one season to the next. And if you don't understand that it's okay for you to step into that next season and live in a place that you never dreamed possible and you don't have to abandon the Lord to do it, you'll stay in the wilderness and feel holier there than you would have if you stepped into where he really wanted you. And your holiness and your worth and who you are in Christ has nothing to do with where you live, it has everything to do with who your priority and who your treasure is. So God, I just thank you that, that it's you who, who wanted to bless your people, God. God, I pray that none of us would glorify lack, that none of us would reduce you down to simply rescuing us from crisis to crisis, God, but that we would actually learn to live and enjoy the rescue that we've received in Christ. God, I pray that we would be people that you can entrust so that you can bring us out of where we were and bring us into where you want us and we won't forget you in the process. I ask God that no matter what you place in our lives, we would never lose sight of you, that we would never forget about you. I thank you that you love us, God. I thank you that it was your heart to bless your people, God, that it's still your heart. I thank you that there's a way that Jesus created for us to live in blessing without forgetting you. I pray that we would be people, God, who fast regularly, who pray regularly, who give regularly, who are obedient to your voice, God, and that everything you entrust us with, we steward wisely, always remembering the blesser, never becoming enamored with the blessing. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.